0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is risen. Christos anesti. Masia come. Christos Vos Christo Ama Christ is risen. Amen. Beloved in Christ, the Church continues to bless us with beautiful gospel readings and encouragements following the celebration of the resurrection. Today in the Holy Orthodox Church, we celebrate what's called the Sunday of the Myrrh-bearing women, the pious Joseph of Arimathea and the righteous Nicodemus. And we are given their example today as, again, an encouragement to spur us on in hastening to the resurrection. Hastening to the resurrection. I heard one spiritual father speaking a while back, and he said we should live as those who are hastening to the resurrection of Christ. And a lot of times we live as those who are dwelling in the realm of death, even as those who claim to believe in the triumph of the resurrection. It's as if we've rolled over and submitted to the tyranny of death. And what are we hastening toward? A little rest, a little consolation, as the writer of the Proverbs, Proverbs says, a little folding of the hands for a time. But those who believe in the love and the triumph of life over death do not hasten for any wor- toward any worldly consolation. Otherwise they will find a fleeting yet unsatisfying consolation in this world. Rather than laying those things aside and hastening to the resurrection and we see... Even in the great mystery of God's providence, sits Joseph and Nicodemus and the myrrh-bearing women drawing near to the tomb and honoring and loving the body of the departed Christ, not knowing what would happen next. But in hope against hope, they drew near, trusting in God's providence, even after the one in whom they had put their hope had been slain. Again, unsure of themselves and not knowing what would happen, yet continuing to love our Savior. Today is also the feast of St. Ignatius Brianchoninov, And... In honor of Saint Ignatius and the myrrh-bearing women, I decided to draw from one of his homilies on the significance of Saint Joseph, Saint Nicodemus, and the myrrh-bearers. So, I'll quote from them at length, and then draw some conclusions. The saint begins, Saint Ignatius, by saying the Gospels imply that Joseph's deed was big-hearted and courageous. That is truly what it was. In the presence of the Sanhedrin, which had committed deicide, the murder of God, and the very Jerusalem that had participated in that deicide, a member of the Sanhedrin takes the body of the God-man, killed by men, down from the tree, and carries it to the garden located near the city gates and walls. There in quiet and solitude under shady trees, he places the body which the bodies and souls of all mankind are redeemed in a new tomb hewn from a solid rock with an abundance of fragrances and oils and wraps it like a precious treasure in fine, clean linen. Remember the bodies of criminals, this is my comment, the bodies of criminals were not honored but were discarded. Like refuse, oftentimes, and burned. And in fact, that's not how we treat the bodies of those whom we love. And Saint Nicodemus, I mean, Saint Joseph and Nicodemus give us an example here of how we properly treat the bodies of those whom we love. And of course, Christians can carry on this tradition of honoring, bringing down the bodies and anointing them and honoring them and even venerating the very body of those whom we love. Another member of the Sanhedrin also took part in the Lord's burial. This was Nicodemus, who came to the Lord by night and acknowledged that the Lord was sent by God. Having rolled a great stone to the door of the grave, doors which the Gospels call a low opening to the cave, Joseph has satisfactorily finished his service, and so he departs. The Sanhedrin follows Joseph's movements. Seeing him gone, it took care to set a guard at the grave, and placed a seal on the stone which had covered the entrance. The Lord's burial was witnessed by both his friends and his enemies, although some members of the Sanhedrin forced their frenzy and, ra- in, and, in rage, committed a great evil. They consciously brought a great sacrifice, and through the slaughter of the all-pure sacrifice, they redeemed the whole human race. They didn't know what they were doing, did they? And ended the fruitless number of transformative sacrifices and made these sacrifices and their very institution superfluous. Other members of the Sanhedrin, representatives of all the righteous people of the Old Testament, served with a God-pleasing intention and disposition of soul in the burial and redeemer of mankind. And by this action ended and placed a seal upon the pious works of the sons of the Old Testament. From this point begins the exceptional service of those in the New Testament. The holy women show no less courage than the selfless Joseph. Present at the burial on Friday, they did not deem it permissible on the Sabbath, the day of rest, Saturday, to disrupt the peace in which the body of Christ rested in sacred darkness and reclusion within the sepulchral cave. The women were intent upon pouring out their zeal for the Lord by pouring myrrh upon his body. When they returned from the burial on Friday, they immediately bought a goodly amount of aromatic substances and waited for the break of the day, which follows the Sabbath, then called the week, now Sunday. On that day, as soon as the sun shone forth, the pious women went to the grave. On the way, they remembered that a large stone had been rolled to the grave, This worried them. And the women began to say amongst themselves, who shall roll the stone from the tomb for us? The stone was very great. Having arrived at the tomb, they saw to their amazement, the stone rolled away. A light bearing mighty angel had rolled it away. At the Lord's resurrection, he had descended from heaven to the grave, which encompassed him whom the heavens cannot encompass stunned the guards with terror, broke the seal and rolled away the stone. He sat on the stone waiting for the women's arrival. When they came, he announced the Lord's resurrection to them, telling them to inform the apostles for their zeal for the God-man, for their resolve to render honor to the all-pure body that was guarded by the military guard, after which the Sanhedrin in their hatred sharply watched, the holy women were the first among humans to receive exact and sure testimony of Christ's resurrection. They were made the first strong preachers of the resurrection, as ones who heard about it from the lips of the angel. The all-perfect God is impartial. For Him, all people are equal. And those people who strive toward Him with great self-denial are made worthy of a special abundance of divine gifts and spiritual elegance. Who shall roll the stone from the tomb for us? The words of the holy women have their own mysterious meaning. They are so edifying that the love of neighbor, they are so edifying that love of neighbor and a desire for his spiritual benefit will not allow us to be silent about it. What is the mystical understanding of this question that was asked, who shall roll the stone from the tomb for us? The tomb is our heart. The heart was once a temple, but it became a tomb. Christ enters it by means of the sacrament of baptism in order to dwell in us and work in us. Then the heart is consecrated as a temple to God. We steal from Christ the possibility to work in us and enliven our old man, Whichever follows its attraction to our fallen will. Our reason is poisoned by falsehood. Brought in by baptism. Christ continues to abide in us. But he is as if wounded and mortified by our behavior. The temple of God not made by hands is, in, is turned into a cramped dark tomb. The body of man. A very great stone is rolled over its entrance. The enemies of God set guard over the tomb and seal its entrance blocked by the stone. They seal the stone to the cave so that in addition to the stone's great weight, this famous seal forbids anyone to even touch the stone. The enemies of God themselves watch over the preservation of this deadness. They have thought through and set up these obstacles in order to forestall the resurrection, to prevent it and to make it impossible. That's from St. Ignatius Brianchoninov, with a little bit of my commentary mixed in. And of course, the women could have said, oh no, the tomb has been sealed by experts, and it's guarded by fearful men who will not let anyone pass. Let's go back home and have a cup of tea. But instead, just like Abraham, who said, God will provide the sacrifice. When Isaac asked him, what are we going to sacrifice up on the mountain? God will provide the sacrifice. The women said, who shall roll the stone away from the tomb for us? Not as those perplexed, but actually as those with faith. As those who believe that the stone could be rolled away from the tomb for them even for them to go and anoint the body of Christ. And of course, out of their faithfulness and out of their courage, they were granted an incredible blessing. They were not doing it in order to prove anything to anyone. It was a totally selfless act. They went to honor the body of their departed Savior. Again, like I said at the beginning, not knowing what was going to happen next. They weren't going going there in order to get a badge, some kind of virtue, so that they go, go back and tell the apostles, We did it first. Now you do see a little bit of a race between St. Peter and St. John after they hear what happened, running toward the sepulchre together. But in their selflessness, in their emptiness, in their longing to love the Savior, they drew near to Him, even after He departed from this earth, not having lose, lost hope. Within that question, who will roll the stone away from us, is the presupposition that the stone can be rolled away from the tomb. And that is our presupposition as well regarding the human heart. That the stone that would close up the heart to God's presence and make the innermost depths of man's being a place of death and not life, we believe that it can be broken open and that it has been broken open. What was once a place of death, just like that tomb, may become a fountain of life. If my heart is as a sepulcher, the powers of this age, just like the Sanhedrin and the guards, would have me believe that it is permanently sealed, fated to lifelessness. And then, therefore, beloved ones, we spin our wheels, becoming partakers of death rather than partakers of life, subjecting ourselves constantly with sorrow, with a sense of futility to the impending reality of death and its triumph. We could believe such a lie and remain away, hopeless, subscribing to the tyranny of death, or we could draw near to that tomb with the myrrh of faith, desiring to anoint our Savior with our tears, not knowing how, but knowing that he will roll away the stone from what was once impenetrable, but has now been blown open by the grace of God as a result of his love for us. When we look back and recall the miracle of the resurrection, we must be very, very careful, beloved in Christ, not to look back in time as at the resurrection as if it were merely a historical event. It happened at one place at one time back then. That's kind of neat that God could do that. What a wonderful thing that those pious women drew near to the tomb. and St. Joseph was so kind in bringing a gracious end to the Lord's life. And then, oh, what a neat surprise that they approached the tomb and bore witness to the resurrection. But that's not the point. That's actually not the point, that that did happen. The point is that that does happen. The point is, not that he miraculously turned a place of death into a place of life at one point point in time but that he desires to turn this place of death into a place of life now but it just takes a little bit of courage on our behalf to draw near to the tomb remember St. Paul says that we need to be fools for Christ's sake in a world that is so rational That is just constantly forestalling the reality of death. We've given into that idea as Christians even. And I'm going to continue to encourage you. I'm going to continue to crack open the tomb of my own heart. I'm going to continue to believe that that stone can, that stony place. Can be transformed into a life giving font. But it's with courage and with faith. Courage and faith go hand in hand. It's interesting because at the conclusion of the gospel reading, it said that the women were afraid. So it's okay to be afraid. While yet knowing and believing that Christ is risen. So beloved in Christ, as we venture forth into this week, what I would like you and what I would like myself to focus on, To pay attention. Last, Last week I asked you, in which ways do I fear death? I told you to write it in your notebook if you have one. In which ways do I fear death? Which ways do I fear life? Well, now I want you to pay attention to this this week. In which ways have I given myself over to death? Which is a kind of fatalism. If you've been in with me in confession, you know I don't like the phrase, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. No. God's will be done. Never, it is what it is. Always God's will be done. I trust in God's providence. So look in your life for those it is what it is moments, those moments where you go, well, there's not, and that doesn't really matter. Yes, every, it matters. those points in your life in which you've given yourself over to death and submitted to it, to the tyranny of death. And look at those as little sepulchers, little places where actually the resistance to death is an indication of the desire for life, the impetus for life. And then, beloved in Christ, not only going around being all sober and dour, looking for the sad things that you see, But also, I want you to pay attention to signs of life. So look for those places in your life where you feel like you've given yourself over to this kind of fatalistic submission to the tyranny of death. But also, look around you. Pay attention. Pay attention to the details. And look for signs of life everywhere you go. And you will find it. Look, there's a little bird on the window right now listening to the homily. (laughs) He was actually on the back window when I was talking to someone the other day too. Look around for signs of life, and even those signs of life that spring forth from places where death would prevail. One of my favorite things to see, I know you gardeners and yard landscapers don't like this, but one of my favorite things to see is a little plant sprouting between the cracks in a sidewalk. We tried to cover it over with our own form of stone, but life is still reaching forth, grasping for the heavens. Look for those signs of life everywhere. And rather, by, rather than prematurely consoling yourself with a false consolation by being proactively disappointed in life, look for signs of hope and you will find them not talking about naive optimism I'm talking about faith and hope and love that spring forth from that most despicable and despairing place of the tomb of Christ where the world tried to commit a deicide but did not succeed look for signs of life beloved ones and look for opportunities to bear witness to those signs of life from your heart, not as a contrivance, but as someone who believes in the triumph of life over death. Give it a try. Those are my exhortations for you this week. Those two things. I'm going to try to do it as well. And call to mind those ones who in trembling who in uncertainty drew near to the tomb, the home, holy myrrh St. Joseph and St. Nicodemus, whose prayers we ask for today. And continue, beloved ones, continue endlessly and again from the depths of your heart, crying out and singing to one another that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Jesus. Amen.